Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. So good to be with you at the start of this day. And uh, I want to welcome you to this live broadcast. We are in Abortion Recovery Awareness Month. We want to talk today about some of the some of the lesser known psychological and spiritual and relational impacts of abortion and the hope, the road the peace, the recovery that are available to those who have been through this very traumatic experience. Give me your questions. Give me your comments. Let me know, first of all, that you're here and that you're where you're from. And uh, we love to, to, to interact with you. And, and, and also, if you want to leave your prayer intentions, do that too, because I want to say a prayer of blessing for all of you, for your families, for your pro-life work, because I know so many of you are involved in the movement, uh, and for whatever your other needs might be. So welcome. Let's turn to the Lord of love and mercy, of life and of hope, and ask him to bless our time together. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, you are the source of life. We thank you for breathing life into us at every moment. We thank you for breathing life into all who are born and all who are unborn. That sacred space of the womb where we are fearfully, wonderfully made, as Psalm 139 tells us, where you fashion us in secret, where you manifest your glory in the incredible design of the human body, and the even more awesome reality of the human soul. Thank you, Lord, for creating us, for forming us in the womb. Lord, we ask your, your blessing upon all those who are carrying the pain and the damage today of having aborted their child, who carry the pain, the anger, the grief of having been so easily deceived, of having been so terribly pressured, of having done something that violates their very concept of who they are and Lord of who you are. Today we want to pray this prayer of blessing and healing. Help them, O Lord, to realize that they are still the son, the daughter of you, O Father, who made them and who made them very good. Let them understand, Lord, that their abortion, as evil indeed as it was, 
does not define them and does not cancel out their goodness and does not destroy their hope of having a loving and fruitful relationship, O God, with you. Bring them back to peace and help them to realize furthermore that you are the same. Scripture says that for you, Lord God, the night is as clear as the day. What does that mean? It means, Lord God, that even though we go through night and day, we go through light and darkness, we go through ups and downs, we go through clarity and confusion, we go through times of hope and of despair, that you do not change, that your clear plan for us and your infinite love for us, do not go away. Do not get diminished or obscured. For you, the night is as clear as the day. We thank you for that because your love for us hasn't changed. Your choice for us hasn't changed. Your call, your gifts are irrevocable. Your plan for us to have peace, life, fruitfulness, and eternal joy. Those plans, Lord God, have not changed. And we rejoice in that. Help those carrying the wounds of abortion to understand that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friends, thank you for your greetings. Thank you for telling me where you're from. Please continue to. Allison says, he is risen indeed. And you know, that's what's beautiful about April as Abortion Recovery Awareness Month, that it also brings us the Feast of Easter. It brings us the Feast of the Resurrection. And my goodness, that's the source of the healing, right? That's the source of this mercy that we're talking about and that we are so urgently extending to others. And that's why we have a whole month dedicated to this because there's an urgent need to let people know that there's healing, you can help to do that. Not only by sharing with people programs like this, but again, the website abortionforgiveness.com is so important. I'm going to go to the board in a minute and we'll put it up there. Uh, it's so important for you to be able to spread because when people go there, they can put in their zip code and find the nearest ministries for healing after abortion. I want to say some things to you today about what abortion does to a person on the inside. I also want to recommend to you some uh, websites and some books. While I'm still sitting here, let me show you a couple of the books. First of all, our own pastoral associate, uh, Dr. Teresa Burke, founder of Rachel's Vineyard, and her husband, Kevin, are pastoral associates of Priests for Life because Rachel's Vineyard is a ministry of Priests for Life. Years ago, she wrote this book called Forbidden Grief, The Unspoken Pain of Abortion. Read this book. If you want to hear a genius insight into the damage abortion does expressed in common everyday terms and examples that we can all understand, this is the book you want. Forbidden Grief, The Unspoken Pain of Abortion. If you want to contact us, we can lead you to where you can get this book. Otherwise, just look it up. Or actually, if you go to ProLifeProducts.org, our online store, you'll find it there. Our friend, Dr. Philip Ney, Canadian psychiatrist, who has done decades of research on abortion and its impact, wrote this book, Deeply Damaged. And the subtitle is An Explanation for the Profound Problems Arising from Aborting Babies and Abusing Children. 
deeply damaged, read this book. It's intense, but you will come out knowing more about the damage abortion does than 99% uh, of uh, the public. Now, the damage abortion does is witnessed to us in basically two ways. There's the personal testimony, and that's where you can go to abortiontestimonies.com and read testimonies of those who have had abortions. That's what our Silent No More campaign does. By sharing these testimonies, we're encouraging people to know that there's hope and that there's healing, and we're also educating them about the fact that there's no such thing as a, a harmless abortion. But secondly, besides the personal experience of people that they willingly share, we have the studies, the actual studies done scientifically by those who want to investigate the many different angles of how abortion harms a mom, a dad, a relationship, a family, society, future children, future pregnancies, and so forth. Now, going back some years, going back actually a couple of decades, this book and various editions of it came out called The Detrimental Effects of Abortion. This entire book is simply a bibliography of studies show you how much research has been done. This is just a bibliography of studies of the impact of abortion psychologically and physically and relationally detrimental effects of abortion. Annotated bibliography with commentary. I have in my hand here the third edition that came out in 2001. But fast forward more into the present, 2018, the latest edition of Complications, an even thicker book, Complications, Abortions Impact on women. Now, it impacts men, it impacts grandparents, it impacts siblings, it impacts friends, it impacts the abortions. We just had an episode of this, these programs the other day talking about the wider circle of victims. But if you just look at women, look at this book, very, very thick. Again, this is not simply a bibliography. This is more of a, of a systematic explanation, again, of both some of the psychological and also relational, uh, physical, uh, and family-oriented impact, devastation, we should say, of abortion. Okay. Thank you for, uh, uh, again, sharing your comments. Continue to share them. Uh, Allison is saying, yes, abortion does hurt. It does. Uh, there's no denying that. And you know what? It hurts always. Now, it hurts in different ways and to different degrees, depending on the circumstances of the abortion and the, what's already going on in a person's life. And the hurt might manifest itself at different points in time. Or the hurt may be experienced and the person might not recognize the connection of the hurt with the abortion. But it is safe to say, and we've said it on our other programs, there's no such thing as an abortion that doesn't hurt you, devastate you. Let me go to the board. So first of all, continuing on recommended reading, Stand Apart is a website of the uh, Alliance for Post-Abortion Research and Training. That's where APART comes as an acronym. And then also AFTER ABORTION is another good website to uh, delve into the kinds of things we're talking about here. You'll see studies, uh, summaries of studies, more details of studies uh, by our friends, some of our friends who are researchers, two of the names uh, to pay attention to. Dr. David Reardon has been doing this for decades. Uh, Dr. Priscilla Coleman also 
uh, excellent uh, researcher on abortion and many others. And then, of course, for the testimonies, as I mentioned, abortiontestimonies.com. You can even search for the different kinds of um, situations of abortion that you want to see people giving testimony about. Okay, so these are some um, resources. Let, let, let's, let's look at one way that abortion impacts people. It makes them question their very identity. I want you to think about this with me. And Betty, I see your comment. The hurt never goes away. I lost two great-grandchildren to abortion. Thank you for sharing that. You know, we had, I hope you saw our previous episode where Janet Morana, our executive director, uh, again referred to the fact that she lost two grandchildren. And, you know, the grandparents, and as you're saying, the great-grandparents, you suffer too. You know, you may not have even known that the abortion was happening. Other times, the grandparents or great-grandparents do know about it, and they try to stop it. They try to intervene. Sadly, in some circumstances, uh, they're the ones pushing for the abortion. Whatever the situation might be, the grandparents have, and the great-grandparents, as in your case, have a deep hurt. You lost a child, too. So we acknowledge that. One of the things that somebody who uh, goes and has an abortion begins to question afterwards is, who am I? Let's put that question up here on the board because this is deep. This goes very deep. Who am I? Why would an abortion make a person ask that question? If any of you watching have had abortions, you know already what I mean. Who am I? Because we have a perception of ourselves. We have a perception of what we care about, that we are good people, we are trying to do what is right. We also have perhaps challenges with our own self-image, with our own self-esteem. If we have done something bad, we look back at it, we might feel guilty, we might rehearse it in our mind, might make us feel bad about ourselves. But when we're talking about the killing of our own child, And by the way, a key aspect of recovery is to face the truth of what we did. Let me say that again in another way. A key aspect of getting better is to let ourselves feel bad enough about what we did that we're facing the truth honestly, breaking through the denial. Because the denial might give us a temporary relief but it continues the long-term damage. We've got to break the denial, let ourselves experience the grief, the hurt, the pain of the evil, facing the evil honestly that we did, because then that's going to be the path to healing. It's the same thing expressed in spiritual terms. There's a pain in repentance. Okay, Peter, remember Peter weeping bitterly after he realized uh, that he denied the Lord just as the Lord told him uh, that he would? And he wept bitterly. Those bitter tears were the road to healing for Peter. So we face the fact that we had our child killed. Who am I? In other words, what am I capable of? We don't think of ourselves 
as capable of killing another human being. You know, not only are there moral restraints, there's psychological restraints, there's physical restraints. This is why if, if you've undergone military training, you know you have to be trained to kill. Not that you're going to kill the innocent, you're going to kill in the, in the, in the, in the very, very limited, carefully, careful boundaries of uh, military service. But nevertheless, you have to be trained to overcome those very, very strong natural restraints that we have built into us against doing harm to another fellow human being, especially a child. So we ask, when we've, we've gone down the road of having been so pressured, so deceived into getting an abortion, my goodness, what am I capable of next? We lose trust in ourselves. We also end up asking some uh, deep spiritual questions. Who is God? And what does he think about me now? We know he's the one who says, thou shalt not kill. We know he's the one who created, as we said in the opening prayer, mysteriously, wonderfully in the womb he made each of us. What does he think of me now that I took the very life that he entrusted to me? And many people feel like God is... All right, God is ready to punish you. God is ready to, uh, God has rejected you. God doesn't want to even hear your prayers anymore. And these are very, very deep and painful questions uh, of, um, uh, that, follow, uh, that follow abortion. This is part of the wound, brothers and sisters. And if we're asking who we are, if we're asking who God is, we're going to find it difficult to make decisions. We're going to find it difficult to enter into relationships. We're going to find it difficult to trust. We're going to find it difficult to go forward to find our own fulfillment and happiness. Why? Because of guilt. We deprived our child of fulfillment and happiness and future. Why should we have any of that? And that's when there's unresolved guilt. That's exactly how we think and how we feel. When there's pain that hasn't been re resolved, relationships are not going to be what they were before. And in fact, even physical intimacy, what our mind tells us, what our body tells us, too, is that that's how the pain began. The pain began when I had this physical intimacy, and I am going to be touching that pain again if I go into an intimate physical relationship again. And this, brothers and sisters, is, um, again, part of the uh, price that is paid from these abortions. In the process of walking the journey of healing, it has been brought out by one of my colleagues, Monsignor Mike Mannion, who was a priest who was a pioneer in this whole area of healing people after abortion. And he made an interesting observation. In pregnancy, the, the mother 
is the lifeline for the child. Obviously, right? But when someone has had an abortion and then undertakes the journey of healing, the child, so in healing after abortion, the child can become the lifeline for the mother spiritually. How does that happen? Because, as I mentioned a moment ago, facing the evil that has occurred and admitting honestly what it was, acknowledging that that child was a child, was my child, was entrusted to me by God, that I committed a terrible moral offense by by having that child killed, is step one. But then looking at the bigger reality of God's mercy and of the reality that he himself receives that child, that that child can be entrusted to the Father, that for us who believe in the God of life, death is not the end of the story. It's a very difficult and painful part of the story, but it is not the end of the story of human life. We heal in the context of our faith, and we can say, Father, I entrust back to you the child you gave me the child I failed to care for, the child I killed, but I am entrusting this child to you, O oh Father. And in you, through you, O oh God, I ask my child's forgiveness. Through you, O oh God, I accept my child's forgiveness. In you, O oh God, I nurture the hope of being reunited with my child, and brothers and sisters, that sense, and we see this happening on our Rachel's Vineyard retreats when we lead people through the healing after abortion, that sense deeply felt, deeply believed that the child is in the arms of the Lord, is alive, has forgiven you, and looks forward to welcoming you in eternal life, That is nothing less than a lifeline. A lifeline to new hope. A lifeline to understanding that, yes, although you destroyed God's plans for that child of yours, you snuffed them out. Brothers and sisters, there is hope that life will continue, both for you and for that child. And this is indeed a lifeline uh, of of new hope for that mother. Okay, I want to bring up a couple of other aspects. One of you is saying, hey, Father, I didn't know you were broadcasting this early. So we're, uh, uh, you know, I get up very, very early. In fact, I already offered Mass today, and uh, it will be uh, broadcast a little later on in the morning. We have the Mass at 10 a.m. each day. Uh, but I figured I, you know, we look at the statistics of who's on our different platforms and tuning in to our Facebook and our other platforms. We notice there's quite a few people tuning in at this time of the morning. So we wanted to come on live every once in a while. We'll do this and uh, uh, hopefully we can uh, uh, reach uh, some uh, good audiences uh, in these early uh, in these early hours of the day. I want to look a little bit, friends, at the impact of abortion. On future parenting. Now, there's 
physical aspects of this. We won't look at those today. Um, but there are physical aspects. Uh, infertility can result from abortion. An increase of preterm uh, labor uh, can uh, re result from abortion. The muscles of the cervix are weakened, for example, and that can lead to uh, preterm deliveries, et cetera, et cetera. Um, lots, of, uh, lots of physical problems regarding future parenting, future pregnancies. But let's look at some of the psychological and relational issues that arise. Oh, I see Allison saying, Father, I would love to meet you. You know, I'm traveling around the country constantly at different pro-life events. Check out my schedule on my website, and perhaps uh, uh, I'll be coming to your community sometime soon. Uh, that is at endabortion.us. That's our main website, and, and my travel schedule is there. Uh, I'd be happy to meet you and all of you, brothers and sisters, who are watching. So abortion and future parenting. Let's look, first of all, at the question of bonding. And we're going to look at this from the point of view of the mother, but also of the father. Okay. The mother. Again, she realizes, I, I killed my child. How in the world, now building on what we've already seen, right, how in the world is God going to entrust me with another child? And then she gets pregnant again. Now, pregnancy is a biorhythm, as Dr. Philip Ney explains. If you get awakened, startled, and get awakened at 2 o'clock in the morning, what does your body want to do after you handle whatever the emergency is? The body, the body wants to go back to sleep. It wants to finish that biorhythm of sleep. And you may not be able to fall back asleep. That's a problem a lot of people have. But you want to go back to sleep. Pregnancy is a biorhythm, too. And so sometimes what's happening physiologically is that uh, somebody who has an abortion, you've interrupted that pregnancy midstream. And it's like the body saying, I want to finish that. I want to finish that biorhythm. So you get, you get pregnant again. Sometimes pregnancies after abortion are uh, what we call replacement children. But be that as it may, you get pregnant a second time, and it's like, okay, now what's going to go on psychologically and spiritually? I'm not worthy of this child. What a terrible mother I am. I had my first child killed. I now, yet obviously now there's another baby growing inside of me. You know what? God's going to punish me. There's going to be something wrong with this baby. Uh, this baby is going to die in my womb. This baby is going to be terribly deformed. There's going to be something wrong that's going to happen. Something bad is going to happen because God has to punish me. This is what's going on in, in, in the mind and the heart of someone who's not yet experienced that healing and forgiveness. The mother might end up over-cautious, over-protective because... She is constantly dreading that expected punishment of God that's going to come upon her. She also may be unable to bond to the child. Why? Because she's still grieving the previous one. There's an attachment to the previous child who was aborted. And if the grief has not been processed, grief, brothers and sisters, is adjustment to a loss. It's hard work. It's a process. 
If a person hasn't grieved adequately the child who was killed by abortion, one might still be having such an attachment to that child that one cannot bond with the next child. Now, we're not saying you, 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 you forget the previous child. We're saying you grieve, you properly grieve, so that you can properly let go without not caring. It doesn't mean not caring. You always love that child. The loving the child is healthy. The maladjusted attachment to the child, because you haven't grieved his or her loss, is not healthy, and it can interfere with attaching properly to the new child. She might even be unable to touch. the new child, because touching the body of that child, again, psychologically, can surface all kinds of pain about that body having been, the body of her previous child, from that same womb having been dismembered and discarded by the violence of abortion. There are many other dimensions of this. We don't even have time to go into it all. But the mother, understand one simple point. Killing a child can keep you from bonding to a subsequent child. And that's why the healing is so urgently needed. It's so important for us to let people know that they can heal. Now, what about the father? You know, legally, uh, we, uh, we see a constant pattern in regard to abortion law, allowing the mother to make the choice to kill the child, but giving the father no legal rights in regard to the abortion. This doesn't make any sense, first of all. It angers uh, many fathers. It deprives them of the opportunity to express their love and their care for uh, their child and have a really uh, impactful, meaningful decision-making in the process. Although in real life, of course, they are a very, very big influence. But that's part of the issue here. If the law has kept on telling them they don't have any rights over the life of their own child, the father is therefore going to experience a very serious ambivalence once that mom is pregnant with his child, with their child. If the father isn't sure whether that child is going to end up dead or not, thrown in the medical waste or not, what do you think he's going to do in terms of wanting to bond with that child? It's going to be a little bit cautious why should I attach myself emotionally, invest myself psychologically in a child whom she, without even getting any input from me, could end up aborting? The very circumstance, when this is not even a, a, an evaluation or a judgment on what's going on in the heart of any particular father, it's just the legal and cultural circumstance we are in where that child could be aborted without that father even knowing about it, that creates this distance, this emotional distance, this lack of bonding, and therefore lack of support of that mom, which, of course, is creating a vicious cycle because with the less support that she feels from the father, the more subjected to the temptation of abortion, she ends up being. These are part of, uh, part of the dynamics going on here. And one of the things that results from this that is very true to say 
is that abortion can lead to more, has led to more child neglect and abuse. Child neglect and abuse have risen because of abortion. One of the uh, other uh, dynamics going on here is failure to mature. You ask um, those who have been abused as uh, children uh, why that was the case, and they will often cite the immaturity of their abusing mother. Why immature? Pregnancy matures a person when it is properly accepted and followed through on. Pregnancy matures. You change the center of gravity when you're pregnant and then you accept that the life of that child and you give birth to that child. Now you have to care for that child. Now you have to respond to that child's needs. Your center of gravity has shifted. Your life has dramatically changed. The decision to abort is a decision to regress into immaturity. It's the failure to incorporate the stretching, physical as well as emotional and relational. There's a stretching that occurs with pregnancy and childbirth, a stretching of your, of your attention and your, your responses day to day, your decision making. It's literally a decision when you have an abortion to stay in immaturity and self-centeredness. And that then continues into the future pregnancy and you are less able to selflessly care for that later child. This is, again, from our um, friend, Dr. Nay, psychiatrist, author of that book I referred to you uh, earlier called Deeply Damaged. And he explores in even more detail the connections between abortion and child abuse and neglect. One more point, and this comes from the other book uh, I mentioned, Complications, okay, the book called Complications. Does abortion reduce, because many people might think it does, does abortion reduce single parenthood? People might, in a very superficial way, figure that, well, you don't have to be a single parent these days because you can abort the child. Actually, the evidence is it does not. In fact, the evidence leans more in the direction of it increases it. Now, one of the reasons we already saw, if you connect the dots with something we already said, because of the fact that fathers have no legal rights vis-a-vis -vis abortion, and they get someone pregnant, they're not going to hurry up to bond with that child if they have in the back of their mind, oh, that child might be dead tomorrow because she can have an abortion without even telling me, much less getting my consent. Well, then, he hasn't supported her. He hasn't bonded. He can walk away just as he. The law is, the law is actually inviting him to walk away. Furthermore, and more fundamentally, if we step back and look at the bigger picture, abortion came about in our society. In particular, the, the legalization of it in the late 60s, early 70s, 
And it came as together with uh, contraceptives and whatnot and the development of birth control and so forth. It can be called by analysts a technology shock when something all of a sudden becomes widely available that profoundly changes the way that we can interact with each other. Some will go ahead and, and connect with that right away and others will say, no, no, this is not good or they will not do it for various moral or religious reasons uh, or they won't be so uh, adept at doing it. You know, just having contraceptives available doesn't mean you're going to avoid getting pregnant. Uh, so... The technology shock introduces a division between those who, oh, okay, you're giving me a way to avoid parenthood, fine, I'll use it, and others who end up giving birth, but in now in a new setting where the understanding of pregnancy, the understanding of human sexuality, the understanding of parenthood and its responsibilities has so changed, has so shifted that people end up Getting pregnant anyway, finding the lack of support of that father who has just walked away, again, because the culture and the law have invited him to do so, and you actually end up having a situation, contrary to all intuition, where abortion ends up increasing single parenthood. Let me go back to my chair here because I have a quote for you. Uh, this book, Complications, um, mentions a study that was done back in 2005, saying in 1950, only 4% of all births occurred outside of marriage. By 1970, the figure was up to 11%. By 1990, 28%. By 2003, 35%. Why is the number going up rather than down as abortion becomes more widespread and more available? Some of the explanation I've already given is part of the answer. Again, books like this will help you to delve into this in even more detail, and I want to encourage you to get, to get them. Again, this book is called Complications, Abortion's Impact on Women. And by the way, if you go to our... Um, uh, our website. We have, have a special website for abortion healing called um, whatfollowsabortion.org. Whatfollowsabortion.org. And we'll put all these resources uh, up there if they aren't up there already. Um, Deeply Damaged by Dr. Philip Ney. And again, by our own uh, pastoral associate, Dr. Teresa Burke. Uh, Forbidden Grief, the Unspoken Pain of abortion. Stay tuned to that website, by the way, for more updates, because as we do these broadcasts, we'll be following up with uh, additional information being put on those web pages. If you don't find it right away, come back the next day. You'll see constant updates being made uh, in all these different things. So friends, April, Abortion Recovery Awareness Month. We have on that same webpage, whatfollowsabortion.org, some social media tools for you to use. We want to not just inform you about the various dimensions, and as you can see, there are many dimensions to the impact of abortion, but we want to make you equipped to be able to spread that awareness and most importantly, 
to spread the healing to those who need it so deeply. So one of the ways to do that is social media. Now, many of you are watching me right now on social media. So you know how to do it. You know how to use it. Use it with some of these tools that we're giving you some little short videos, status updates, tweets, other kinds of uh, social media postings you can use, memes and so on. We're going to be loading up that social media toolbox, not just for April as Abortion Recovery Awareness Month, uh, but for all through the year, because this month is meant to give a little jumpstart to the awareness of the damage abortion does and the healing that can follow. But it's meant to give that jumpstart so that we can be active throughout the year in giving the healing. And let me say a few words about that. As a, a priest uh, myself, as a minister of the Word of God, St. Paul tells us, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. What a powerful, beautiful thing. Christ has died for our sins while we were yet sinners. Paul writes to the Romans, he died for us. It's one thing for somebody to die for a good person. But Christ died for us while we were still in rebellion against him. That shows you can't turn God's love off. Friends, we were saying at the outset of my explanation of some of the damage abortion does, that people having had abortions will ask, well, who am I and who is God? I don't even know anymore. Who is he? Does he like me? Does he care about me? Is there any hope? Answer it this way with the word of God. He died for you while you were still a sinner. He died for you even before you asked him for forgiveness. If you ask him for forgiveness and you repent of your sins, he's going to give you that forgiveness. But it's going to be through the shed blood of Christ that you receive that forgiveness. His blood, Scripture tells us, when we wash our robes, when we wash our lives, in that blood, those robes become white. Usually you would think if you wash your robes in blood, they're going to become red. Not the blood of Christ. It's going to make them white. Isaiah says in this first chapter of his prophecy, though your sins be like scarlet, they may become white as wool. Wash yourselves clean. Put away your misdeeds from before my eyes. Cease doing evil. Learn to do good. God is ready not only to wash us clean, but to make us agents of good. He died for you while you were yet sinners, while you were yet in rebellion against him. And now he has given to us this ministry of reconciliation. What a joy it has been for me and continues to be each day as I serve as the pastoral director worldwide for the Rachel's Vineyard Ministries, pastoral director for the Silent No More campaign, to be able to proclaim this mercy, invite people to take hold of it, and then actually give them the forgiveness of the Lord in the sacrament of confession, for example, or if you belong to other denominations, the various... Um, uh, ways in which you accept the forgiveness of God in your life. It's a beautiful thing for us, the clergy, to be able to announce and proclaim and impart 
that kind of mercy. The gospel of life, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the gospel of mercy. We want nothing more than to be able to grant that, that peace, that forgiveness, that mercy. I've even ministered to people who have had as many as 26 abortions. It ties in with the damage that we just talked about. If you wonder how can a person or why would a person do that? Well, you know why? Again, because as of the, the, the uh, uh, dynamic I explained, you get pregnant again for various reasons, sometimes because you want to have a replacement baby. Then, you've, then, you're, then you're overwhelmed by your unworthiness and guilt. I can't be a mother. I had my first child killed. And then you punish yourself by killing the child again. It's also called traumatic reenactment. When we've experienced a trauma, and abortion is a trauma, that we cannot master or understand, one of the things the human psyche does is to put ourselves back into that trauma. And we may not always realize the, the, the steps we're taking in order to recreate the pain, but we're recreating the pain in order to try to master it, to try to understand it. This is why some people who are in abusive relationships don't see, can't seem to get out of them. People might say, well, just walk away. Get out of that. But they're trying to master the trauma. They're trying to understand the pain. And so we have people who have literally dozens of abortions. It's, it's, it's so sad. It's hard for us to understand, but if we think about it in these terms, we can begin to understand. We want to bring them mercy. The sooner we bring healing, by the way, the more lives we end up saving. Because the healing then makes it less likely that they're going to be tempted to abort a future child. Would you pray with me now? Bring mercy, Father, to those who have had abortions. Bring healing to those who are wounded. Bring new hope to those who do not even think that there is forgiveness available to them. Bring it today, Lord, a waterfall of mercy and of grace. Lord God, this is who we are in the pro-life movement. We're not people pointing fingers of condemnation. We are people extending hands of mercy and hope and help. Renew your church to be a sign of life and a sign of mercy. Renew the clergy to be eloquent spokespersons for that mercy, urgently inviting people, saying, now is the day of salvation. And spread your grace and send your Holy Spirit upon all those who have had abortions so that as they find healing, they may, as St. John Paul II wrote in the Gospel of Life, become the most eloquent sp spokespersons for everyone's right to life. We ask all this in the mighty name of the only Lord, the only Savior, the only hope of humanity, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and grant you his peace. May he bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Whatfollowsabortion.org, friends, stay connected to that website and all the other resources that I gave you. Tune in again for our upcoming broadcasts. Tomorrow, in fact, at my 10 a.m. Mass, it will be a Mass of healing 
for all those who have had abortions. Tune in tomorrow, 10 a.m., uh, Friday, the 29th of April, and we'll be focusing on this theme in the context of praying and worshiping the Lord. God bless you, friends. Father Frank Pavone here on behalf of all of us at Priest for Life. Have a wonderful day, and we look forward to being in contact again. Thanks for watching. Follow him, Father Frank Pavone, FR Frank Pavone, on Twitter. He is the National Director of Priests for Life. Please go to priestsforlife.org. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.